Good morning. Good morning. Yes, we're on. Okay, title of today's talk is The Heart of the Cross. The Heart of the Cross. What is, what is this really all about? The question that we ask today is this. It's how can a holy God forgive our sin? Let's make it personal, shall we? How can a holy God forgive my sin? If, you, if we think we have no sin, then you don't need his forgiveness. And uh, I don't really know why you're here this morning. <laughs> you could be doing far more interesting things than listening to me if you think you have no sin. If we recognize we are sinners, then there is no more important question in the whole wide world than this one. How can a holy God forgive my sin? We're going to look at two things that we need to understand. Both of them have already been referred to this morning. If we're going to be able to answer that question, we're going to have to understand two things. We're going to have to understand who we are, what we're like, and we're going to have to understand what God is, who God is, and what he is like. And if we do not understand anything of those, either, either our nature or his nature, we cannot we will not be able to understand or appreciate the answer to this question. We rarely talk about sin these days, do we? The words are rarely used. Not even that much in church sometimes, but they're certainly not used in society. Having said that, the word sin or sins did crop up, I noticed, at the end of our home group uh, last week, I think it was. But I have to confess that was all to do with Slimming World, where they talk about sins how many sins a particular item of food... I was not entering into this conversation at all, I should have you know, but I was just, just picked it up that one or two were talking about sins in terms of what they could eat. And by and large, we, we play down sin, don't we? We play down sin. Sin is a, a minor misdemeanor. It's a white lie. It's, um, it's nothing too serious. And uh, as against evil... Now, evil is something different. Evil we do read about and hear about on the news. And evil is people like ISIS. Evil is people, individuals like Jimmy Savile. They're evil. They're evil and they deserve their punishment. That's evil. It's out there. That's not me, is it? Not you. We're not evil. We just occasionally slip up. And we, by and large, play down these things in our own lives. But the question is, is how does God see sin? How does, how does God see us? How does God see our, our natures? What is the nature of ourselves? What is, the, what is human nature? Here's two examples very quickly. Let's first of all go right back to the, 
beginning of the Bible. And there we have this lady, Eve, uh, talking to a serpent, as you do, of course. Talking to a serpent, and, and we know that Eve is living in this wonderful place that God has provided. Everything around her is, is great. We call it paradise. That means a, the word comes from the word bliss, delight. It was a great place to live. We cannot imagine what it would be like to live there. And yet she has this conversation with a serpent. And at the end of this conversation, she does what God has told they, rather, do what God has told them specifically not to do. And she takes, well, we know it's not an apple, but we always think of it as an apple, don't we? She takes the apple from the tree. She disobeyed God. They disobeyed God. What's going on there? Is that it? Is, is that it, that, that she took an apple when she shouldn't, took a fruit when she shouldn't have? Well, it is, but it isn't all of it, is it? Why did she do that? Why, when she had everything to enjoy, why would she do that? Why would they do it? Because the serpent had whispered something in her ear that went along the lines that God is not to be trusted. That actually, if you do what he has told you not to do, you'll become like him. You'll become like God. And she listened and she believed and they believed and they did it. You see... It wasn't, in a sense, what's going on there is that they didn't trust him, did they? They didn't worship him. They didn't love him as they should. She didn't consider him. They didn't consider him when they ate that fruit. They knew better. They could choose. And they chose what they thought was in their best interests. And they went their own way. The nature of sin. The king is in his palace. He is the greatest king the world, that the country has ever known. He is the great, perhaps the greatest ruler in the world at that time. He has everything. He has everything. He is surrounded by luxuries. His kingdom is at peace. Everything has been provided for him. And he knows that God has provided that for him because God raised him up from a young lad to be king. And there is David. Everything is right in David's life. In human terms, anyway. And then David sees this lovely woman. Problem is, he turns out that she's a married woman. But that doesn't stop him, does it? He gets abroad to the palace and they have sex. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there because she's pregnant by him. Because her husband's away. And you know the story. You don't have to tell it in great detail. But basically, to prevent this becoming a national scandal and David being exposed, he arranges for this man to be killed. Now this man is a friend of his. This man is one of his most loyal men. He belongs to the elite bodyguard of David. He has him killed. Murdered. And things possibly go quiet for a while until one day Nathan the prophet walks into David's presence. 
And Nathan tells a story. He tells a story about, we won't tell the story, but he tells a story about how someone really abused their neighbor. Really abused them. And David, when he hears this story, he gets really angry. Really angry. He says to Nathan, that man, that man deserves to die. And Nathan says, you're that man. You're that man. And David recognizes that's true. Nathan points out to him how good God has been to him. Nathan points out to him how, how everything that he has is of God. And because of what he has now done, then God will take, the, there will be consequences that will ripple through, the, through his family and through the future generations. Because Nathan says, you, David, have despised God. That's what God is saying to Nathan. You've despised me. I gave you all of this. I made you who you are. You should love me. You should worship me. You should obey me. Because that's what I am. Look. That's what I deserve. And you despise me. Despised me. See, when the Bible talks about, it does talk about sins. It does talk about the things that we do, that we shouldn't do. Whole lists of them at times. But when the Bible talks about sin, it goes deeper than that. It talks about, the words it use talk about our very natures. I mean, one of the words it talks about sin, as you know, is, is we translate trespass. Trespass. And when we think about sin, we think about, you know, we think about, oh, well, okay, occasionally I step over the boundary a bit, you know, don't I? It's, well, it's a gray area, isn't it? It's not black and white, it's just gray. And that's how we think about our sin. Do you know what? That is not true. The truth is, it's actually a great big fence. And on it, it says, do not enter. Do not trespass. You will be prosecuted. Do you know what? We think better. We think I can climb that fence because I like what's on the other side. And I do it, so I climb over and I... It's deliberate. It's not just casually moving into a gray area. It's climbing over a wall that God has put there and saying, I know better, God. And in that way, we despise God. Despise the one who created us. The source of all life. And the Bible goes on, in other words, to talk about how the, our character, when it talks about sin, in other words it uses, talks about how our character has been corrupted. We will have problems at times with technology getting corrupted. And all sorts of things start happening and it all gets mixed up. The Bible talks about our characters being corrupted. That is the nature of sin. That is human nature. That although there are good things that we see as well, it's all mixed in. And things happen that shouldn't happen. And like some David, sometimes we get angry about other people's sins. You know, we can get a bit worked up, can't we, when we see things happening in Syria. And it's right that we do, and many other places. If you're anything like me, you only get worked up for a short while, and then we quickly forget, don't we? And we move on. 
That's the way our society and media work. The only things we really get hung up about long term are people's sins against us. And we can hold on to some of them for a lifetime because they're against us. But what we almost entirely fail to do, which David did recognize, is that our sin is not just about other people. Our sin is primarily against our Creator. Because you were not made to be like this. Our sin is against Him and against His order and against all that He has brought into being. This is His world. Everything we have is from Him. We've read, we've sung these songs about how He's given everything for us. That reading from Isaiah 53. The only good man, the only perfect man, gives his life. He's crushed, trampled, because he gives his life for us, for many. When David was confronted by the prophet Nathan, he didn't make excuses to his credit. He just said, it's true. He says literally, quote, to Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. I am that man. I am responsible. I am guilty. What about us? Are you responsible? Are you, am I responsible for my sin? Or do we think that, do you think we can play it down by talking about our circumstances, our genes, the way our parents treated us, and all these other things that may well have shaped our lives? But, and I've, could tell a few stories about people I've worked with in the past who've had some terrible experiences. I'm so, you know, if I'd have been in their shoes, what would I have been like? And so my heart goes out to them. But at the end of the day, every one of us is responsible for God, for the choices that we make. There is no exceptions to that. And if we start talking about diminished responsibility, I'm diminishing you. I'm diminishing you because you are a person that's made in the image of God and you are created with the, with the, with the ability to choose and to make decisions. That's how he's made you. You're not some lesser creature. If I, think you're, if I say you're of diminished responsibility, I'm saying you're like a child or like you've got a mental health problem so that you can't understand. You're not like that. We are made people in God's image. And we are responsible for our sins. And if we don't realize that, we can never move on. We can never begin to understand what God has done for us. The amazing thing, isn't it, there is something really strange, though. That when David says to Nathan, I am that man, I think David also knew that he deserved to die. I think he expected to die. And there's something really strange happens now. Because Nathan says to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Quote, 
the Lord has taken away your sin, you're not going to die. Okay, now what on earth is going on there? What are we doing, God? You've just said that he's despised you. Broken, you know, he's, he's, he's done what he should never have done, and, and he's brought you dishonor. You're a righteous God, aren't you? What are you doing saying your sin's taken away? It's okay, you know, you're not going to die. Yeah, there'll be consequences. What is happening there? Well, we'll come back to that in a minute. We need to recognize what our human nature is like, the character of our sin and the seriousness of it. And if we don't, we pretend. We deceive ourselves and we deceive others. But we do not deceive God. He is not deceived. Very quickly, let's move on and look at God's character and what he has done. How does God respond to our sin? See, God's character is pure and holy and righteous, perfect, it's good, it's compassionate, it is love, it is kindness, it is merciful. And he's all of these things, and others we could add, all of the time. All of the time. He's not a bit of one and a bit of another. He's like this all the time. He is absolutely consistent, straight through, in our terms, day after day, week after week, month after month, except as we know he's outside of time. That is God's character. Not like us. We, we easily change, don't we? Move around. I can, be like, I can be really nice one day and I can be really miserable and nasty the next day and all the rest of it. So how does God see sin? Okay, very simply, God and sin cannot coexist, can they? If God is the character I've described, which is what the Bible says, then God and sin cannot coexist at all. No more than light and darkness, which is one of the Things, themes that run through scripture. He cannot, the two cannot go together at all. So how can God deal with sin? How can God forgive sin? Why doesn't God just forgive us? Why doesn't God just forgive us? Well, the truth is he can't. He can't just forgive us. He can't just wipe it away. Because if he did, he would not be the character that I just described. He cannot be true. He cannot be just in everything that he does. And then just, and then just ignore justice. That, can, that cannot be God. That cannot be how he is. And he isn't. The true response to justice and guilt... The true response of justice to guilt, sin and guilt, is punishment. So that guy who nearly killed the guy close to where we were living up the Finley Road a few weeks back, stabbed him, gouged out his eyes, then ran over him twice. When he got his sentence for 14 years this week, that was just. He deserved to be punished. That's how I see it. I'm not saying that was the right punishment or whatever else. But he tried to kill another man. 
And most of us would say, well, then, then there needs to be punishment for that. God and sin cannot go together. How does God deal with sin? Kim's going to come and read to us in a moment, Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. And then we're going to very quick look at it very quickly together. Before she does, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul's talking about the preaching of the gospel, the gospel that is able to bring righteousness. And then from verse 18 of chapter 1 to 3, verse 20, he's basically saying that the whole world is unrighteous. Whether you be Romans or Gentiles or Jews with their law, all of you are unrighteous. And all stand therefore in the judgment, under the judgment of God. And therefore his wrath. And then we get to chapter 3 verse 21 of Romans. Taking my Bible as well. It says in verse 21, A righteousness now, a righteousness from God has been made known. In fact, all that we're reading about there in Romans chapter 3, in those verses, is all about what God has done through Christ Jesus. God has done something that makes us, that makes rightness, righteousness, a right standing with him possible through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 22 and verse 23, it says, But all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has trespassed, Every one of us has got a corrupted nature. And every one of us despises the glory of God because we put our own glory, our own interests in his place. And verse 24 goes on to say, though, that we're also, this is talking about all, the possibility for all, are justified freely by his grace. 
justified. What does that mean? Okay, so I'm in court. I'm in court and the case has been made against me and it's true. It's true. I know it's true. I know that the things that I'm accused of, I am guilty of. And all I am doing now is waiting for the judge to make his declaration, his just declaration. And I'm expecting the worst because it's obvious to me, it's obvious to him, I think, and everybody else that I'm guilty. And the judge says, you're acquitted. What? The judge says to me, you're acquitted. Before the law, you're acquitted. He's not saying anything about my character. He's not saying what I'm like as a person. He's simply saying that I am acquitted of those offenses. I can therefore walk free. And Jesus and, and rather, God, through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus, is able to say that people are justified freely by his grace. He's not talking, as I said, about their character changes. That comes later. He's talking about legally, in God's sight, through faith in Christ Jesus, they are acquitted. They're free. They stand Righteous, they stand right before God. How can that be? Well, as he said, it's by his grace, by his love. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God expressed through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Goes on to say, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus Redemption is where the sort of word that's used where slaves were bought back or paid for their own freedom or someone else paid for their own freedom. It's also connected to the word ransom when somebody pays a ransom for someone so that they can walk free. And Jesus said, didn't he, I've come not to serve, but to serve, but to, not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many because we someone goes free because someone else has paid so when god the, when god the judge says to me i am acquitted it's nothing to do with what i've become it's nothing to do with the change in my nature it's nothing because i've i suddenly become a good person i am acquitted because of what he has done because somebody else has paid the penalty. Somebody else has stood in my shoes. And then he goes on to talk about sacrifice of atonement. And if we had time, we could look back at the Old Testament and see how these sacrifices, burnt offerings and the Day of Atonement and all of that, we could see how all of these are pictures of what is going to happen in the future. They're foreshadowings of that. God did this out of love. No one else, no, no one, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. We looked at 
last week. God, out of love for me and for you, sends Jesus Christ. Those very vivid words and passages that Darren read to us from Isaiah 53. But also in this here, it says it's more than just love. It says that it is out of God's justice. Twice in the verses 26 and 27, or 20, sorry, 25 and 26, it says, He did this, this sacrifice of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He did this to demonstrate His justice. He did this to demonstrate his justice. It's not just out of love, because God is love, but that's not all of his character. God is also just. And he did this to be just. Because God's character is true and holy, it's consistent, it doesn't change. And sin and guilt demands punishment. It demands punishment. It demands God's wrath, because that's the only way he can face sin. It's the only way he can deal with sin. You know, I can get angry about things for a little while. My anger varies depending on what I've had for breakfast and all the rest of it. God's anger is not like that. God's anger is true, absolutely true, every time. It is consistent. It's not irrational. It's entirely rational. God's anger burns against sin, and sin will be destroyed by God's wrath. That is the biblical picture. So when, so when someone is set free, so when, when Nathan can say to David, it's okay, your sin is forgiven, you can walk away from it. When Jesus can say to the criminal on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. How can all of that happen? How does that happen? It happens because someone else, Jesus Christ, bore the, not just the sin, he bore the penalty for our sin that lets us free. Because without that, we will face the wrath of God. He's not changing. He doesn't vary. This is what he's like. And either, either the wrath of God will be meeting out on Jesus Christ for my sin, or I will face the wrath of God for my sin. Because God is just. God is just. He's a God of love. He's a God of great love. Love that we can never understand. But he's also a God of justice. And sin and guilt mean wrath of God. That is, the, that is the pattern. That is the process. And it cannot be changed. And that's what these verses are talking about. That Christ was our substitute. He bears the legal consequences for our sin. There's a book. The battle, there's a book, isn't there? Bridge over the film, Bridge over the River Kwai. Long time, film of a long time ago. It was a good film. There's also a book, The Miracle of, on the River Kwai. And if you've read it, if you haven't, it's well worth reading. It is inspiring. It talks about how Christians, people, people who became Christians in a Japanese prisoner of war camp that are building this rail, railway, how their life transforms the life of this camp. Utter degradation. Terrible, terrible torture and injustices being committed. But how God somehow works through people in that camp. And in, that ca- in there, there's a story. It's a true story of how they, were, they go out in work parties to, to, to work on the railway. And they were given tools to work on this railway that they were building for the Japanese army. 
And every day they'd go out and they'd work all day and they'd come back in at night and then the tools would be counted. And so this work party comes in and they count the tools. Japanese officers count the tools. One, two, three, four, five, six, one missing, whatever it was. They count them again, da -da -da -da. one missing. The Japanese soldier gets very angry. And he says, Who's, who, has, who has taken this tool? Who's responsible? And they, no one says anything. They just stand there, this work party. He says, someone has taken this tool, and I will kill you one by one until I find out who's taken this tool. And, they brings, and he brings forward a guy just at random from this group, and he hits him smack with his rifle butt. And he's about to go on pummeling him, and another guy steps forward and he says, I took the tool. I did it. Let him go. I did it. And there again, in front of the people, they beat this guy until he dies. They beat him to death. And then they go back to, into camp, and they count the tools. And they're all there. They're all there. They just miscounted. The guy who stepped forward to do that was a Christian. For the sake of his guys around him, he stepped forward. He was the substitute. An amazing act of kindness, of grace, compassion. But that is nothing. That is nothing compared to the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, stepping down and being treated in the same way. Worse ways, in ways that we cannot understand. For my sin and your sin and bears the wrath of God. Time has gone. That is the heart of the cross. That's what the cross is all about. To understand it, we need to understand what we're like and stop kidding ourselves at times. Because only then can we truly understand what God is like and how much he, how much he is given so that we do not have to bear the wrath of God and can go free. I'm just going to read with this little story. It's not, it's not, it is a story. It's in one of Vaughan Roberts' books. It's called The Great Exchange. It says, At the end of time, we stand before the judgment seat of God. And an angel begins to read from a heavenly book. It takes many hours for him to do so, and with every line we feel more and more helpless because we realize that this book contains a record of our sins all the sins we've ever committed in our lives. And eventually the angel stops speaking and God asks, whose name is on the cover of this book? And to a great surprise, the angel replies, Jesus of Nazareth. Then he picks up another book and he begins to read again. This time the account of the life could not be more different. It is full of love, truth, compassion, and perfect righteousness. Not a single sin is mentioned. And I know that only one man has ever lived that sort of life. And once more, God asks, whose name is on the cover of the book? It's my name. 
can be your name. Because that's what it's all about. The heart of the cross is that Christ bears my sin, the penalty for my sin, so that I can stand righteous before him. Now and in eternity. That's the heart of the cross.